another episode of Fountain City Sports Media, a podcast made by Kansas City fans for Kansas City fans. My name's Armando, aka Hot Tech Mondo, and I am joined by my friend Reese, aka the Reese Incarnate Bach Lesnar. And today we have a pretty fun pod. It's actually a non-Kansas City pod today, but it's going to cover a lot of great topics. So the first one is going to be, we're going to talk about Barry. If you haven't seen Barry or you're watching Barry and you uh, have not seen the season finale, please fast forward this section because there are going to be a ton of spoilers. And if you haven't seen Barry, we definitely encourage you to because it's amazing. And then to round out the podcast, we're going to talk about the Golden State Warriors winning the NBA Finals. Um, More so kind of talking about where does Steph Curry, uh, where is he in the echelon of like all time NBA players? This is going to be a really fun debate for us. It's going to be a really fun time. Reese, how are you doing today? Oh, man, it's another Monday. Uh, long day of work i got a lot of things in my plate right now that i'm hashing through but uh the good news is uh the heat just broke which hopefully means that we'll get more people coming into the beer hall and want to kick it on the patio and all that because i don't know how it's been out in uh, cooperstown or herkimer where you are but uh, since last monday we haven't had a day under 93 degrees and we've had and we've had multiple over 95. So, I mean, it's just, I, I think I said this to Noel. She's like, well, you've been in Kansas City for seven years. I'm like, yeah, but I, I mean, at this time, like, this is the longest, most brutal stretch of heat I think I can remember. And I say that because we have our AC going constantly. You know, we're not those people who's like, oh, you can't let it get up to 80 because then, you know, it takes forever to get back down. But we even had, like, the, the tech crew at the, our apartment complex come check out our AC unit. But just, like, we, we can't get the unit to go below like 76 degrees just because it's like so hot you know they can't keep up so so long as little bobo's cool you know and he's he's feeling good even though he's a prince and he has an oscillating fan right outside of his crate because that dog is spoiled <laughs> af but because why not dude, dude what are you gonna do so that's how i've been how is, all things considered. how is how is bobo is bobo all healthy bobo's all healthy he got his 16 week shots today vet checked him out uh he's doing well he's gonna be a chungus man he's a he's a big boy uh dude well when i saw him he was how many months and he was already like only 10 pounds uh lighter than nelly uh, he was let's see you saw him he's probably you you came when when like may 15th yeah, I came around. So yeah, like third week. Yeah, of so May. he's probably probably about eleven weeks at that point. Uh, right now, uh, he is. Let's see, sixteen weeks and just under thirty-one pounds. We we weighed him at the vet because I have been doing the the super scientific method of standing on my bathroom scale and then holding Bowie while standing on my bathroom scale and subtracting the difference. <laughs> so I freaked out last week because he was like thirty point two last week. And I'm like, holy crap! Like that can't be right. And then you're like, wait, I just wait, but I, I just had seven IPAs. Yeah, exactly. Time. I had way too much hops. So thankfully, I think my scientific scale had him a little ahead of what he actually was because when he stepped on like the vet scale today, it was like just under thirty one. I'm like, okay, thank heavens, I'm not overfeeding you. I'm not a monster. You're getting exercise. Okay, good. <laughs> yep. That's funny. Yeah, I do. Because Nelly is 30. Nelly's like 33 to 37 pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, he's he's already reached Nelly weight. That's crazy. He's man. a chonk. He and his uh, brother, shout out to front of the podcast, Joel Guzman. He's got Bowie's brother, Archie. And like, dude, both those dogs are just they're so freaking huge. They're so freaking huge. Dang, dude. Yeah, dude. So next time I see Bo, Bobo, Bo's going to be like 75 pounds. Uh, 
it's possible. Daddy was 65 and Mama was 55, which is huge Ooh. for a female Aussie. So like, oh, that's actually that's not bad, though. No, nah, it's, it's not that bad. It's not that bad, but he'll be a he'll be a good sized dog. He'll be a good sized dog. Yeah, how you do that? Nice. How dude. you do that in the uh, the dirty herc? Well, like you were saying with the heat, it's actually not too bad here, but it does it it varies here, and that's that's been really strange because last year, even if it like rained and it rained a lot last year, it was still pretty hot. Mm-hmm. Like it was, you know, um, maybe in the evening it would hit the high sixties, but that was it. It was it's primarily high seventies to then like low 80s mid 80s is kind of what cooperstown it normally is at least to my knowledge from last year but this year's been like really up and down man like sometimes like we'll get into the low 60s in the evening um it got really chilly. it even got into the 50s during the day a couple days ago and then it spiked back up to the seven like 78 which i hate dude i i hate the like like this happens in Colorado a lot, and it really screws with your voice. Mm-hmm. Like when you when you go through all the weather changes, it obviously affects your body. And then for the for those of us that are singers out there, you you all know as well. Like it just like if it's going to affect your body, it's going to affect your voice as well. Mm-hmm. So I don't like that part of it. No, that's <laughs> gross. That's gross. Which which is another reason why I won't be drinking tonight. Reese. Okay, good. That that sounds good. Uh, full disclosure: <laughs> Armando's not drinking tonight because he's got singing stuff to do. I'm not drinking tonight because I have a tummy ache. Uh, I'm not saying it's diverticulitis. I'm not saying I'm as strong as Bach <laughs> Lesnar who did have diverticulitis, but. Uh, oh, wow. it's, it's enough that I'm uh, relinquishing my championship belt and not reviewing a beer tonight, but we still will be talking about this week in craft beer. Absolutely. We'll be doing craft beer and maybe next week we can do a dual. How, how about let's do a, a, a dual beer review so that they get double the fun and they don't miss out let's on it. it. Um, speaking about not missing out on things, let's talk about two things, Reese. Um, let's do our social media blurb. And then I want to talk about um, trying to get more downloads on this podcast. So why don't you do social media and then I'll, I'll do a little download pitch all right social media blurb you know the story if you like what you hear and you like the dankest of memes if you know what i mean go check out fountain city sm on instagram check out fountain city sm on facebook and check out fountain city sports media on tiktok if you really like what you hear and you want to subscribe as a best friend of the podcast you can donate for as you can donate once a month for the price of one cup of coffee on patreon.com backslash FCSM, where you'll get outtakes, bonus episodes, and exclusive beer reviews, including things such as Season Zero and our current series, Speedy and Angry, where the rad Russian Alex Nikolenko and I are doing a 10-part deep dive into the Fast and Furious franchise. Uh, we just finished watching and recording Fast and Furious, the fourth film of the franchise. So uh, keep an eye out for that coming pretty soon on Patreon if you subscribe. Awesome. And then to tag team with Reese. So of course we want you all to donate on Patreon. We know we've gotten some new Patreon um, helpers in, in the past month, the past couple of months. So we really appreciate it. Shout out to all of our friends that they're really helping us out. Um, but what we would also ask you to do is to download this podcast. Um, we're actually in talks with certain uh, people uh, that may help us advertise one day. And one thing that um, we're starting to learn is that we really have to have good download numbers to really take this podcast to the next level so we want to ask you all to make sure if you are listening to this podcast 
please hit the download button. I actually have one friend who uses his girlfriend's Spotify. Mm. So like he so since he doesn't have to, or since it's not his, he downloads all of our podcasts and it goes on her data. Now Armando for <laughs> and like all of her <laughs> for, for listeners' sake, when you say download a podcast, do you mean just stream it on Spotify, <laughs> Apple Podcasts? Uh wh- what are you talking about specifically? Good question, Reese. Thank you for uh, reeling me back from that segue. So download, you actually do download the podcast. There, there, there is a uh, there, there is a button on whatever podcast you're using. There is a download button so that that podcast is then going to your device, whether you're listening on your phone, um, your computer as, as such. So you do have to not only press play to listen to the podcast, but you then have to hit an additional button to actually download the podcast. So please do that. It means a lot. Uh, and it means a lot for numbers and kind of the 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 whole trajectory of this podcast. Um, things are going well, but to really take us to the next step, please download. Have your friends download, your parents download, your dogs download. Yep. Uh, Reese, you have to get a Spotify account for uh, for Bowie so that <laughs> so that he can so he can get one more download. But anyway, uh, you all get the gist of it. Well, we hope to see more downloads. Thank you again for listening. Now, the reason why y'all listen is just because we love to we love to debate. We love to argue. We love to analyze. And right now, Reese, why don't we get into some analyzing of the Barry season three finale? Oh, so for those of you who don't know, Barry, uh, Barry is uh, played by the great uh, Bill Hader. And Bill Hader not only is in it, but Bill also produces and directs and films. Oh, I guess directing and film, kind of the same thing. But he he's kind of all inclusive here. It's kind of like Ozarks with... Uh, What's his name? Jason Bateman. Mm-hmm. Um, so really awesome. Co- it, it is it is labeled as a comedy. It is on HBO. You can get on HBO. Go HBO Max. Um, it, again, if if you don't if you don't watch Barry, please watch. And if you if you do and you haven't seen season finale, skip this. But if you're ready to listen to it, let's talk about it, Reese. Um, let's just bounce off of each other. Um, do I want to start with the ending? Yeah, I wanted to start with the ending because that's the reason why we talk about it. Reese, was the was the ending for you um, satisfactory? What what did you think of the ending of season three of Barry? And I guess we'll just start with spoilers. Uh, Barry does get arrested finally after three seasons of being an assassin and killing a lot of people. Um, he then is finally arrested. Yeah. Uh you know, I have mixed feelings on the season finale. I love a good cliffhanger, which makes me like want to wait and be like, where the heck are they going with this? Like if they did at the end of season two, I thought the end of season two when he like destroys everyone in the monastery and he has that acting uh, acting show with Sally and she kind of like betrays him on set, you know, that, that may be chomping mm-hmm. at the bit for where season three was going to go. But this... What's difficult with this is I had this conversation with Noel actually before watching the penultimate episode because, you know, it's kind of like a two part finale unofficially. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm like, where do you think this series ends? I'm like, Barry either gets arrested or like doesn't survive this show. Right. And she's like, yeah, she's like, I think one of those two things happens. So the fact that they arrested him now, I'm just like, where are they going to go with this? And not not quite in a good way, but it's like the dude is presumably going behind bars he's gonna get put away in a supermax because i mean that was a swat team that got him so you know i I don't know what did you think about that did you like him getting arrested 
Yeah, I'm, I'm going to pull back some layers of this onion as well. I actually like the arrest because it, it brings closure for, uh, for uh, uh, what's his name? Um, sorry, I'm forgetting his first name because he goes by Cousineau. Gene. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> they, they always call him Cousineau. But Gene, I feel like there's closure for Gene because the whole season, uh, he's trying to get away from Barry. He then realizes that Barry killed his girlfriend. Um, and then there's this like weird Stockholm syndrome going on where Barry's like, hey, if you don't become an actor, I'm going to kill your family, essentially. Mm-hmm. So like, even though Gene has his own masterclass show, like Gene still has all this rage for Barry that we don't really see in these last couple episodes. So for me, I kind of liked it because I, I I actually feel for Gene where I talked to my brother about this and and my brother feels for Barry mm-hmm. where he's like, yeah. oh no, Barry Barry's tried to... Where I actually don't feel for Barry. I'm actually like, you know what? Like, Barry hasn't Barry hasn't atoned or hasn't really like... like he what he's doing to Gene and making him do this masterclass it doesn't really um, go into like Barry's soul and to realize that him murdering you know the girlfriend was not a good thing but for him to like put Gene into this masterclass it kind of skirts away from like actually analyzing what he's done as a person and as an assassin so I'm actually team Gene and I'm not team Barry so that's why I actually liked Barry going to jail. But that was the whole concept of season three was that you saw in the very first few episodes like he needs forgiveness from gene which is why he does all this and then he has that fever dream where he's in purgatory and he realizes he's going to hell so my only thought is that season four is going to be like a hundred percent about like barry's atonement you know and the, the reason i feel for barry is i've read a lot of reviews after season two where they're like once a killer always a killer is kind of the motive of the show and i always took the motive of the show that Barry isn't a bad guy. And that's reflected by Andrew, the FBI agent, when he's got the gun to his head and he's like, you're not evil, Barry. He's like, I've seen evil. You're not evil. You just got to stop this. And in season one and two, it w- everything was always about, okay, one more job and then I'm done. Like one more, once I get this job out of the way, I can go straight. But by like, you know, just hilarious happenstances, there's always like one little thread left after a job that is like, okay, now you owe me for this job. Okay, I'm going to do this job and then I'm done, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, that's why I'm team Barry. Yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe I will amend what I'm what I'm saying because I do feel for Barry and I, I did see the whole purgatory scene, which which we will talk about because I thought that was like really rich um, with a, like content and rich with analysis that we can talk about. But I guess I feel more for Gene because like Gene. Gene will never be okay again because he lost his, his girlfriend and you can see that in how like lost Gene is even within the masterclass stuff like like you still see that like bit of his soul um, and I keep forgetting his his actual actor's name Henry the Winkler plays the Fonz was yeah Winkler like like Henry Winkler is um absolutely amazing oh, yeah. because like because he's like playing a he's he's playing a caricature but he's also like playing a real person he's playing someone that is like damaged and and in that monologue scene with where they like have the like master class that like first scene you see all of it within that little monologue and i'm like how the hell does he do this like i don't like just just the subtleties of his acting where you have to be this like like uh this 
this this caricature of a person, but at the same time, there's so many layers to his caricature. It truly is awesome. So that's why I'm pro Gene because I just I really feel for his character as opposed to really feeling for Barry. But I get that like season four we will see that turn and anybody that was like anti Barry will not be anti Barry. Um, go go ahead say say what you're gonna say and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you what I thought was gonna happen in this. Oh no, now. totally. I, I was just gonna say I think you could be pro Barry and pro Gene. I don't think Gene's done anything totally. wrong because if you dissect his character. Uh, you know, when Janice Moss's dad, what's his name? Uh, Jim? Was it Jim? Uh, I don't remember his name. So, uh, Jim Moss. So, so when Jim's interrogating him and he's saying, why are Which you... Prote- crazy, yeah, he's like, why are you protecting Barry? Why are you protecting Barry? I think what he must have told him is the fact that he's protecting Barry because his career comeback is entirely based on that one actor saying, look at this good your acting class did for this, you know... Uh, PTSD veteran. So if it turns out that the PTSD veteran is a serial killer or, you know, a hitman, then his entire career is up in flames again. But he's not doing this to protect himself. He's doing it because he's using his career as a platform to right the wrongs of his past, which he did with that Annie chick, the art teacher, which is why he's giving her 100% of the proceeds and letting her direct the masterclass thing. So he knows that all goes away if it turns out that Barry is a serial killer. But whatever happened in that interrogation scene, Jim must have told him, he's like, I understand that it sucks, but like avenging my daughter and writing that is more important. You know, writing the death of somebody is more important than rebuilding this person's career. You can do right that way. And I think that's how he convinced Gene to set up that sting operation. Yeah. Yeah, no, I was actually thinking of it just way, way more artificially where I just thought that um, that Gene was telling Jim, like he almost killed, you know, he almost killed my son and my grandson, and that's why, that's why I'm doing all of this mm. as well because I, it just felt like this tug and tug and pull. I, I know that Bill Hader as a director was trying to like f- trying to get me as an audience member to then believe that Gene completely forgot about the whole scene that like Barry was with his grandson. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, no, I'm doing this masterclass now. I love what I do. But at the same time, like that was so frightening as an audience member to see Barry like, yes, he wanted to atone. But at the same time, he was with the grandson essentially is saying without saying it, I'm going to kill your grandson if you don't do what I tell you to do Mm -hmm. because I need to do this. And that's just like, oh, my God, Barry is Barry is off the ledge. Like Barry is so psychotic at this point. Man, your way makes way more sense and I don't know why I didn't see it that way first. I'm st- I'm not like uh, getting rid of my theory because I think that could play into it as well. But like I can't believe I didn't see no, no, what Barry, you just Barry said. Barry is still like Barry is still a a a forgiving character. Like I, I in act in act four in in season four I'm still gonna fall for it and like love Barry again. Mm-hmm. So he's not like um, unforgivable, which is what this whole season's about. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's all about forgiveness and yeah. Good point. Good point. Okay, uh, sorry, we're going off the, uh, the we're going a lot here, but it's it's so good. No, so sure. I'll, I'll tell you what I thought that this season finale was going to be like because my my brother had texted me before the finale and was like, oh my god, it's going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. So like when he said that, I, I would my Pandora's box just opened. So when he g- gets poisoned in the penultimate um, episode, as the episode's going. 
I think that he was dead the entire time and this was all a simulation or this was all like something that happened in his mind just because everything had gone off the rails. So, for example, his girlfriend yelling at the assistant was just so over the top. To me, it was like, you know, something inside Barry's mind or like everybody was was dead. Like I was I was going like way far out there. It just felt so artificial to me that it didn't seem real. Like it, it felt like it Barry was in a dream or something. And then um, like his um, his friend that was the ex army. That's now the detective. Mm-hmm. I thought that that was God like like. Like he he was still in his dream and God was telling him, you know, it's okay. You are a good person. Just never do this again starting today, which is like something that you see if someone is comparing someone to God or like you're trying to make something of an allegory. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So at this whole time, I'm waiting for him to wake up from his from his dream the entire episode because I'm like, this is some like like because like, of course, he's on the beach and it is purgatory or that's that's what you you know the symbolism is you see all the people he's killed that are around him but i'm thinking this whole thing is a dream and this is all his atonement to like him you know going to heaven or something i was like oh my god like this is it it was very profound but if it would have been him like dying and then you know trying to go i'm like oh my god this is like incredibly profound yeah you know, that's an interesting theory. That's an interesting theory. I, I could go back and rewatch this season with the lens of that over the last few episodes and see where it gets me. Uh, huh. Okay. Is that, is that what your brother thought, or is that what you thought? No, 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 no. This is no. This is just as I was watching oh, it. Okay. I don't think that's what happened. No, no. no. Afterward, I, I I know that's not what happened. But as it was going on, there was just so many comparisons to you know god the devil hell purgatory death what happens and things just were so off the rails so not only the scene where she's yelling at the assistant but then the uh the the guy going to the other country to save his lover like that scene was just so ridiculous also the like lights going on and off Mm -hmm. i was like okay this sets it up or 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 the like scary animal we don't we don't know what what the animal was when he's when he's in prison he shoots whatever is across the way to me that that was just so extraneous that i was like maybe he's dead as well and this is like some weird purgatory atonement he has to also atone for his sins i was like what the heck mm, yeah that, that, that's funny that's yeah if you look at those things through that you know so I'm, I'm gonna go off the rails here really quick uh put a pin in this I, I had it. a similar experience recently uh again uh if anyone listening to this has watched letter kenny and or shorzy keep listening if you have not watched shorzy yet don't listen to this uh do you think you'll ever watch Letterkenny or Shorzy? I've seen um, I've seen the first like four seasons of Letterkenny, okay, but haven't seen Shorzy. So I, I won't spoil Shorzy then. But anyway, so I have no idea that's happened. When I started watching Shorzy, Hulu started me on the last episode of the season, but the way like the episode progressed and things that were going on, all I knew was that the show was about Shorzy. 
So I hadn't seen episode one through five. I'm like, yeah, this makes sense. Okay, they're talking about, uh, this isn't a spoiler. They're, they're talking that if they lose, they're going to close this hockey team for good. Okay, so they can't lose. Okay, so this is going on, this is going on, this is going on. And at the end of like the episode, I'm like, huh, I'm like, that, that kind of feels like the end of a season. That's a really interesting pilot for this show. And then it turns out it's because... Hulu started me on the final episode of the season for like no reason whatsoever. So, oh, so no. I, I had a similar experience as you did with that Barry episode where I'm like, huh, this is kind of fever dreamish and off the rails. I wonder where they're going with this. Like this is, it's really bold to have like all these like plots that are already like basically fully developed going on in the first episode of a season, but okay, cool. Uh, so and shortage spoilers there, but but going back to Barry, uh, going back to Barry, what did you think of this season? Uh, I think it had a really different tone in the first two. And as you alluded to, it's supposed to be a very dark comedy. And I thought in the first two seasons, there was a really good balance of like, you know, people getting killed because the Hitman show, but also like dark humor happening, you know, in the interim sort of things. But I almost felt like this was more of a drama, this series, and there really wasn't much comedy to be found. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. And you, you definitely see this with shows where it's very one character base. It always gets into something dark. For example, Breaking Bad, for example, Ozarks. Like the first season is so milk toast in comparison to what happens to an actor. And I, I think that's just the natural progression of a character that like people are really invested in. At some point they're gonna have to go through something really dark. But this season really took us there. I mean, that last episode, I would I would I would characterize the last episode as a, as a horror film. Oh yeah, I would not characterize it as a drama or a comedy. But yeah, this whole season it felt like it was drama based with then these comedic moments. Like it never felt like it was uh, it it was a comedy because of what he had to go through and all just the emotional craziness they had to. One thing that that my my brother mentioned that I didn't really realize, Barry doesn't say a lot during this whole season. Like really? Barry doesn't talk. Like if you if you go back, like um, for example, was it the the second to last episode? He really says only a few words, and then in this last episode, same thing. Like the only time that he really said something was then when his girlfriend kills the assassin. Mm -hmm. He goes up to her and says, "I I know where I'm going, and I don't want you to go there. Tell yourself that I did this. You did not do this. I did it." That if you go back. It, he he actually doesn't say anything during the whole episode, hmm. which is crazy. That that Bill Hader has has made this show about himself. Yet during this whole season, it's really about the people around him and what he's done to all these people. Like, it, it, and it really like encaptures Barry because Barry is a very he's not an outspoken person. He's an introvert. He's you know he's got so much going on. He doesn't really talk. But the way that Bill Hader like presents him as a character when he's on film is amazing like it's amazing that he really only said like 20 words probably in the last episode oh yeah that's a really good point that you point out there and uh, you mentioned about henry winkler earlier but like for the last two maybe three episodes of the season like every character had to act their tail off i mean oh totally. like when noho hank is chained to the 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 radiator and like he's hearing that tiger like kill his buddies next door and he has to like break free i'm like that was dude that's hard to act i mean you we, we know this yeah. you know we you do it now way more than i do but like sure, professional sure. actor for a living 
but or you know uh, another example like when Sally kills that assassin like you mentioned the whole drama yeah that was that was wild dude, dude <laughs> when, when he gets when she's like beat over the bat and then and then they close the like studio door like oh. that was like Barry dude Barry, Bill Hader's a genius anyway continue. oh I mean th- that <laughs> uh, we, we alluded on it earlier but like the Gene Cousineau and Jim Jim Ross uh or Jim Jim Moss the inter- interrogation. The interrogation Dude, yeah. that, that's seriously heavy stuff. Everyone did a great job. I'll tell you what, and most underrated guy on the show, might not be underrated, uh, I always forget his name, but the guy that plays Fuchs. Oh, yeah, yeah, the guy that plays do, Fuchs, yeah, absolutely. Do you know what other roles that guy does? I can tell. It has to be like Shakespeare or something, tell me. <laughs> he, here's two roles. He plays the nerd with the goggles and the rage in Dodgeball. Remember that film? Oh, that's right. That's him. He also voices Bill Dotrieve on King of the Hill. No that's way. That's the same guy. And there's one or two other big things I'm forgetting right now. But like th- he is probably, I mean, Reese's hyperbole, one of the most underrated actors. The fact that he can play oh, all totally. those guys so well. And anytime he monologues, you're like listening to every yeah. single word he says. Super intent. He he reminds me of, um, what's a, not John Malkovich, but the guy that plays... What's his name? Darn. Uh, anyway, there's a really famous actor that is known for all of these things. He's bald, mm-hmm. and, and he this is what he does, but this guy that plays Fuchs, he's not known for this, but he does it so well. You're right. Anytime that he talks, it's like he might, you know, he might tear someone limb to limb and 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 he's not like he's he's just he looks like a normal dude but the way that he presents himself it's like this dude's gonna rip someone apart oh yeah i I would say my one complaint for the season and this is not you know it's nothing they could have done about it but like the last episodes of barry in season two came out in like the summer of 2019 so there were a lot of times in this season where they're calling back to like people he's killed or like things he's done or events that happened. And I was kind of just like, wait, wait, what was this again? Oh, right. The tooth. Uh, who was he killing? What was the significance of that? And, you know, it's just having the the three years and change between seasons probably made me, you know, I, I kind of wish I would have gone back and watched season one and two again before I watched season three, because then it would have been like fresh and a lot of these things would have like connected more to me. But like, you know, they kept mentioning Chris, like Chris's killer. I'm like, I'm like, what's the significance of Chris? Who was he again? OK, so he was his military buddy he had to kill. Why did he have to kill that guy again? You know, right, right. It, it just just things that like being such a big integral plot point of the season, not really being able to kind of fire up the old synapses and connect the dots on those made it a little bit difficult for me. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Like, like when when they're in purgatory and he's looking around, I was like, oh yeah, I remember that guy. I have no idea why I remember him, but yeah, I remember right. that guy. Or, or, or like the dirt bike guys, you know? He's like, hey, you killed your brother, you know, for a hot tub and all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm like, who are these guys? You know, why does this matter? You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There there are a lot of extraneous because like Barry or Bill Hader does such a good job of like really accentuating the 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 like main four cast members and really giving them good monologues that when he does have these subplots it's really hard to follow because we're so invested or like when 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 that lady wants to kill him and then the the like son accidentally shoots shoots the mom yeah. like that kind of that's like a sub subplot but it's important and then we don't hear from them again yeah, like, that was weird that, well, the, also the guy that like captures him and then kills himself like yeah you know, that was kind of the Chekhov's gun thing as well was, uh, you know, they set it up in the first 
two episodes that Fuchs is gathering, you know, is basically narking on all these guys Barry killed to their families in hopes they would kind of like mob and kill him. But, you know, it's kind of like you said, one by one, like it doesn't happen until it gets to Jim Moss. Because like you said, the, the, the mother and son, they shoot each other on accident. They go to the hospital. You don't hear from again. The dad of the actor that he kills in season one kills himself. So it, to me, it all kind of feels a little like a little, what do you say? $100 move, 10 cent finish in the payoff of that. Yeah. 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 Because you, you can tell that he was trying to close loose ends. So then season four, he can do whatever he wants and he doesn't have to like bury the hatchet. Like, yeah, they're just burying it all at once. Yeah. And you know, that brings the last thing I'll say that brings us back to why I was a little lukewarm on him getting arrested at the end of season three, because great cliffhangers make you wonder where the show's going after seeing the end of season three. I'm like, there's not much more, not much more room for this show to go direction wise, which means the fourth season is going to wind down, which is kind of like a bit of a letdown to me. I don't know, man. I think I think season four is going to like what this last episode was. If that is a precursor to like the maturation of Bill Hader as a as a film director, then I'm actually really excited to see what season four will bring because of like that last episode every monologue like i'm i'm being hot takey here but i don't care every monologue like is emmy worthy like oh, yeah every everyone that did something like that was the best one of the best of its whatever of 20 what are we in 2022 mm-hmm. now it's covid dude <laughs> i don't even know what year we're in uh, okay i know right like it like those were the best scenes that i've seen in 2022 not not just episode but like if you take all those scenes, I can't think of another show like right now, even Ozarks. I've, and I've seen a lot of shows in 2020. I can't think of one that is superior, like in all of, in all those scenes, like her killing the assassin, you know, him being poisoned and like the way he acts in it. And then, you know, coming out from the poison. I mean, it, it was, it was amazing. And, and to kind of put a cap in it, Reese, I think that Bill Hader is the best TV film director of 2022 right now. I, I think you might, I can't name one person better right I now. I think you might be right. I've always been a big Bill Hader fan. Uh, he does great voiceover work. He stepped in for some of Stephen Colbert's characters in the Venture Brothers about five, six years ago, or maybe even longer at this point. Uh, he did some voices and was part of the writer's room in South Park for a while there. Right. Yeah. yeah. I was. I actually just looked looked up his like credits. There's not. There's really nothing other than yeah, South Park. And I, I tell you what, you, you go back and watch his SNL stuff. Uh, I think it was a bit easy to kind of get lost while he was there, because that I feel like a lot of people feel like that was kind of the turning point in the show and the show now isn't what it used to be. And I think at the time people were kind of like, oh, you know, Bill Hader's part of this, you know, crew that's not as good as the the golden era guys, right? But now like you see what SNL is now and you look back at what Bill Hader was doing, you're like, oh no, Bill Hader is freaking great. Yeah, he was amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all, all the different, yeah, all the different characters that he do, all the like the old timey people that he would do and he specialized oh, in. Oh, like, Vincent Price. Yeah, it's crazy, man. Like, <laughs> Bill Bill Hader, yeah, Bill Hader, amazing actor, amazing film director. I was just reading this article right now, um, and he said, yeah, in in the seventh episode, which I don't know if that's the finale, mm-hmm. he said he he Barry does not say a word in that episode, oh, and he did that intentionally. Great catch, so like you know stuff like that. You know, like who, what, what film director is doing that right now? Now, obviously, he's he is um, directing himself, so he can he can as a you know the film director say uh, you're, you're not going to say a word. 
hard. Now, if you're working with, you know, John Travolta or like Tom Cruise, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, just so crazy, man. Excellent. I cannot wait for season four. Anything you want to add to that before we do beer review? Uh, oh, man. I know we, we've been talking about this for close to 20 minutes plus. Yeah, I, know like, we could, I know we can we can talk of, you know, all the different layers of it. Uh, there's so much that we're missing. But anything. Yeah. Anything? Yeah. Sally sucks. <laughs> Dude, she sucks, dude. She sucked in season one. And okay, this, this is a testament to her actor. This is her actress. This is a testament to her actress. She sucked in season one because she was so manipulative and so self-absorbed. And there was that line she said, remember when she was like half drunk and crying? She's like, do you think I'll be famous? And I hated her from that moment because you know singers like that. I know singers oh, like totally. that. Anybody who's ever done performing for a career knows somebody like that. So talk about like getting under our skin. Uh, and then in season two, like we said, she was very selfish when she betrayed Barry when he started getting into acting. Remember, he found like he was able to tap his fury into his acting, and she was worried about mm-hmm. that. So she switched up that scene on him, you know, and she went rogue and improv that, and then she got big off of it. And then in this season, we saw right out the gate how self-absorbed and like full of herself she was that she finally had something, you know, that Joplin show. And then, you know, I, I'm not saying that what her old assistant did, you know, wasn't wasn't crappy i mean that's that's any performing industry people are crappy for themselves but like for her to do what she did and go that crazy on her and then you know be like hey can you actually like kill this person for me and then for her to kill someone and for her to you know that when barry said hey i love you because barry i think deep down does love her and she goes is that so and she's like hangs up and flies to joplin uh, you know, dude, S- Sally sucks. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, it's, it's weird. And, and I, um, I would be curious to see what Bill Hader's portrayal is, but like, yes, she has no redeeming qualities, but then the, as, as the relationship progresses, then Bill Hader becomes this like, um, you know, this bad guy in the relationship and it becomes this weird Amber Heard, Johnny Depp type of relationship where like, yes, no one likes Amber Heard, but at the same time that that relationship is just so toxic that you can't blame either side. Yeah. And it's this really weird thing that if like I could put, I mean, I'm sure I can read another article and I'm sure he talks about this. But like Bill Hader is like really finding the like the perfect awful relationship. Yeah. Where it's like you can't blame either of them, but this is like what this is what a bad relation this is what a abusive relationship looks like. Yeah. And it's so crazy for him to capture it in such a way. And at the same time, we like we totally know people like Sally. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and I, I think the one thing that might vindicate her, especially since she's going back to Joplin, aka her hometown, is if we I think we're gonna see a lot of her backstory and upbringing, which she's alluded to a lot right. in the last season and a half. So I think if we kind of get a glimpse into the why of, of Sally, we might start having a little bit more empathy for her going forward, which I really hope yeah. slash really think is going to be the case, given the writing of Bill Hader. Bill Hader, we love him. Everyone, check out Barry. It's amazing. I think it's the best show of 2022. I think that uh, he's the best actor and film director in a TV show, at least, in 2022. Um, so watch it. Stay tuned. We'll we'll probably talk more when uh, Season 4 comes out, but for now, uh, let's take a break, and Reese is going to talk about This Week in Craft Beer. 
It's everyone's favorite time of the podcast. That's right. It's This Week in Craft Beer, the segment of the show where we discuss what's going on this week in craft beer and normally review a delicious craft beer for your listening pleasure. Unfortunately, as we alluded to earlier, Hot Take Mondo's got to do some serious singing tomorrow in some pretty harsh climates, and uh, my tum-tum hurts, so neither of us will be reviewing a beer tonight. (laughs) Uh, However, there is interesting stuff going on in the beer industry, but first, Armando, this weekend I had the pleasure of hitting up a brewery in Brookside, which I don't know if it was here back when you were uh, still living in KC, but BKS. You're, did you ever go there? Yeah, yeah, B, yeah. BKS Artisan Ales mm-hmm. for sure, dude. Yeah, I, uh, I for the first time ever went to their tap room. I, I had had some of their IPAs before, and they're really good. Uh, but I finally got to check out that tap room, and uh, it's a pretty cool place. You ever been there? Yeah, I, I went there once with a with a buddy when it like had just opened because I think it opened in twenty eight. Sounds about right. Yeah, leave Kansas City. Yeah, like I left Kansas City in 2019. I think it opened just before I left. Uh, And yeah, I had a had one of their first. um, I think I had a Pilsner. No, it wasn't a Pilsner. Forgot it was something light. And yeah, it was very good. Really cool. Really really small at that point. I don't know if they've grown in size, but I know that I. I know that the big thing is whenever they release a beer, it is immediately gone. Like if they release a beer on a Thursday, then all of those canned beers are gone. Oh yeah, I had a I had somebody at the beer hall show me uh, just how serious that was because when they released a beer, he's like, "Watch." He's like, "If I don't have my credit card info in, he's like, I don't want this week's release." He said, "But I'm going to put my credit card info in as I do it, and if I take too long, it's going to be sold out by the time I hit submit." And lo and behold, Jeez. he punched his credit card info in, hit submit, gone. He said, "If there's a beer I want, That's he's wild. like, I have to have my info like cocked and loaded just to hit send once that timer hits zero. He said, or it's gone." So, I mean, BKS probably has shit. BKS is probably one of the biggest followings in Kansas City in regards to uh, dedicated loyalty of the fan bases. Yeah, like like niche craft beer. And I, I mean, I know that uh, they're pretty well respected, too. I think they're one of the breweries that when people in the know in the industry talk about brewing in Kansas City, they're like, what are the best breweries in Kansas City? I think the people in the beer industry, like, you know, Boulevard, obviously, you know, they're so big. Uh, you know, XYZ. Oh, and you got to hit a BKS. You know, that's one of the ones to go to. So I had a great time going with a friend of the podcast, uh, Brandon Blackman, who I don't think you've met Brandon, but you would love Brandon and Brandon. Would love I you. haven't met Brandon. No, it, it, next, next chance we get, we'll have to kick it. He just had a little baby girl though. So it'd be kind of hard to get him out of the house. But oh, congratulations, Brandon. Yeah, dude. Woo. He's a real one. Uh, anyway, so that was my beer experience for this week. But in other news, Taste of the Future, first artificial intelligence created craft beer to be released at NOLA Brewing. What do you think of that? Wait, what? Say all that one. Wait, meaning that a robot made it from start to finish? So at NOLA Brewing, they had a state of the art artificial intelligence come up with a recipe that, quote, I never would have done normally, but I really like how it tastes. It's very refreshing and very oh, easy drinking, okay. and I'm happy with it. So the the article goes on to explain the AI came up with the recipe, but the brewing was done by living, breathing, feeling human beings. Okay, so this is this is good for Reese because that means Reese has a job for at least another five years. Yeah, may, maybe if I'm until lucky. Ro- and, and, and until robots take over the entire beer industry. Well, now that's interesting. Though. Well, I mean, hey, Barry, spoiler alert, dude. It's all about the algorithm. That's all that matters is the algorithm. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. That's, that's true. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. that, that that's true, man. Now, I'm curious as to 
how how an AI decided to do a certain recipe? Do, does the article go into specifics? Like like they're talking about certain hops that they wouldn't wouldn't normally put with other hops, or is it the amount and like the ratio between the hops? Okay, so to answer that question, I'm going to read you this long quote from a brewery co-founder. I believe it's Denam De Silva. Says about 10 million people review beers every day. There are all these sites and they put all that info in the world basically to show what they're thinking of the beer. You do exactly the same thing. There are five questions. You scan a QR code, answer five questions, you rate the beer, and instead of it going into a website, maybe somebody reads or not, what happens is artificial intelligence picks that up and goes directly to the producer. The AI then takes all that data and manipulates a recipe and then gives it to the producer. Here, this is what the market's thinking. So... Yeah, that that uh, I don't I think that paragraph was some punctuation, but long story short, it sounds like they gather information on reviews of what people say about different beers. Uh, the artificial intelligence then gathers the big things, the algorithm, if you would, and then what it poops out is the recipe. And what wound up coming out is a blonde ale. But it does sound like there's some different things about this ale. You might not necessarily see in the blonde. Like you said, like the hot varietals, uh, you know, mm-hmm. what, what other things go in there, how long it takes to brew. So that is the story of the artificial so it's based brew. on it's based on a total popular demand of the brewery and then the ai will then make a recipe based on popular demand and see if it works that's what beer. it sounds like they don't specifically say uh well, so he's talking about 10 million people reviewing beers. This is why I said it'd be a gift that had some punctuation here, because I think it's just a long, rambling quote. Uh, 10 million people review, beer, review beers every day. There are all these sites, and they put it into the world basically to show people what they think of the beer. So he says, you do exactly the same thing. There are five questions. You scan a QR code and answer five questions. You rate the beer. And instead of it going into a website, maybe somebody reads, maybe not. So it sounds like maybe they created a five-question review on different beers they brew uh, and the results you know maybe, yeah maybe it's like if uh, somebody at boulevard is like hey let's make a beer okay you're, you're obviously taking the tank seven yeast strain uh you're throwing in judging by you know these reviews you're throwing in citra hops um and it's a it's a a stout you know so you have like a dry hopped Stout made with tank seven yeast, so it's like a Belgian style stout, and it's dry hopped with citra. Tada! Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that this can be beneficial for the beer industry, especially if it's things that the brewers don't think of, right? Because like brewers, I feel, and this is a generalization, but brewers definitely are learning from their past and want to. Um, want to keep the integrity of the beer right like i i think that integrity and tradition is important for brewers especially at well-known breweries yes where an ai would not where, where, where an ai could care less about integrity and tradition and just trying to combine things and i think that sometimes will cloud our minds into like making new styles right because like even even three years ago when I was at Weldworks, making a slushy beer was like, no, there's no way we would ever do that, you know? And then now they're making, you know, really awesome slushy beers. Um, 
since the the exact same time that seltzers came out, same thing. They were like, no, there's the seltzer's not even a beer. Then lo and behold, they they were trying their best to make a seltzer. Uh, they're actually, I don't think they're making seltzers, but when it became popular, they're like, yeah, let's go ahead and give it a try. But I, I know we've talked about this on the podcast before, but seltzers are really hard to make. So, so I think they kind of discontinued that trend. Um, but I, to me, I think having an AI in the system just to kind of keep things creative and kind of get things going, I think can help uh, breweries. Well, that's a really good point because uh, I am not, I don't think I'll ever get tired of hazy IPAs, but I think the other day I just realized having a hazy IPA, I'm like, you know what? I'm like, I need to take a bit of a break from hazy IPAs. You know, it's like I've had so many of them for so long. It's like I'm ready to kind of branch out, do some other things, and I'll come back to hazies when I haven't had them for a while. It's going to be great. Uh, but speaking of all of this and coming up with different styles to appease the consumer, by any chance, have you had that green can from City Barrel that I gave you when you came through Kansas City? I haven't yet. Okay. This is really interesting. And I say this because it is technically an unusual style that is so huh. good, pending your approval. I think this beer might deserve some Mount Crush more consideration. Whoa! Yep, it's it's that then serious. I'm gonna have to try, it and then we're gonna. It's that serious. Um, tell me again, what what was the style? Uh, so the style is actually, and I'll go into this more in depth when we do the the beer review eventually with it. But uh, they call it. Uh, a cold IPA. That's like kind of the buzzword term for it right now, which is essentially an IPA they make with lager yeast, uh, which according to a few of my Cicerone friends are like, dude, these have been around forever. This is nothing new. It's technically called an IPL, an India pale lager. He's like, it's just a dry hopped Pilsner, a dry hopped lager essentially. But cold IPA is the buzzword. You know, potato, potato, I don't care. It tastes fantastic. Because wow. you get the crispy, crackery, you know, wonderfulness of a lager, but at the same time, you get like the purity of what the hop is. So it's very citrusy and refreshing on the back. I mean, talk about wow. a unique taste. And I bring this up again because I had something semi akin to it at uh, BKS over the weekend. I had a dry hopped Pilsner, you know, so similar ish concept. Uh, but again, sure, lager with like a single hot varietal in there very refreshing very different very crushable dang well stay tuned ladies and gentlemen i will have to try the ipl i know that weldworks um just put out in uh a similar style so yeah that's definitely or cold ipa um that's that's trending and that's good because um i think that's going to be great for the beer industry um Cool. Any any other thing, Reese? Before we um, before we close up this segment and get into some uh, Warriors talk, uh, yeah, uh, I for one welcome our new AI beer overlords and hope that they will give me a position <laughs> in a uh, something that involves feeling or human emotion uh, that they cannot quite simulate yet. But yeah. Reese is going to be a part of the uh, the uh, tasting group, but it's going to be like the uh, the uh, Matrix, where like you are still in this egg and it's this simulator, and you're at this like bar, but there are no bars anymore because it's just like these computer farms. But it's just like you, me, Noah. Your human tongue is required. <laughs> what do you think of this beer? Detecting elevated serotonin and dopamine levels enjoys the beer. <laughs> But we're in this like virtual reality where it's it's 
like 1998 Kansas City. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we're playing like NFL Blitz, the hottest game that just came out in arcades. <laughs> Just like that. All right. Well, um, and we are completely sober and we just went on that rant. So that means we have to keep going. And we will see you on the other side when we talk Warriors. <laughs> Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, from our This Week in Craft Beer. Stay tuned for more of those. And of course, uh, we will be back to to drinking beer very soon and even though we're not drinking beer go ahead and open a cold one if, if you got a cold ipa and ipl or you got a, uh, a a cotton candy sour whatever it is open it up because we're about to open up pandora's box with steph curry winning his first nba finals and the warriors winning i think I believe this is their fourth uh, fourth finals championship with the Steph Curry, Clay, uh, Draymond Green trio. So Reese, um, I really want to center this topic on where do we put Steph Curry in the um, in the top, you know, whatever, like in the best NBA players ever. But before we do that, let's just recap the finals and just some things that kind of stood out for you. Um, so the Golden State Warriors beat the Boston Celtics in six games. Um, Reese, yeah, what what stood out to you? It could be good or bad. It can be about the Warriors, Celtics, whatever you think. I think what stood out to me is uh, this is the second time the Warriors have benefited this during this run they've had in that, A, I don't think they were the best team in the Western Conference, much like when the Thunder peed it down their leg that 72 or 73 and 9 season. I mean, the Thunder, oh man, I got to ask, was that year the same year that the uh, the Houston Rockets would have beaten them the series before if uh, Chris Paul hadn't hurt his knee at like the very end of game four. No, because I'm like this up. Harden was on because Harden was on the Rockets team. So it wouldn't have been the same year that the OKC team. Are you sure? Unless you're, I think they, I think they snuck through back to back series. Cause remember like everyone was wondering if they were like too tired by the end of it. Hold on, I'm looking this up. I'm looking this I up. I think, okay, okay, look it up. But uh, as you look it up, I'm gonna say that that really good OKC team was the was the Warriors' first championship that took them to seven. And then I think, mm. I think the year before Kevin Durant got to, um, no, no, it was the year that Kevin Durant was on the Warriors that the Rockets took them to seven and they almost won. Was it really? And then. Yeah, and then Chris Paul messed up his hamstring in Game Six, which then prevented them from really winning that game. And they, the Game Seven was close without uh, Chris Paul too. Yeah, I want to say Kevin Durant was on that team. Like everyone says, and and I also agree that that was maybe the best NBA team ever, the one with Kevin Durant on it. I think what was it, 2016, 2017. Yeah. But at the same time, people people forget Rockets took him to seven. Oh, man, I'm trying to think. What what year was that? Why can't I find it? When Chris Paul dinged his... Uh, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure that's 2016. That's was it the, the Western Conference semis? The Western Conference finals? It was the semi. Uh, it was finals. Okay. Because, let's see. Rocket Games here. I found it. Uh, 2018. Oh, that was 2018. Good night. 2018 took him to seven games... Um, 
Warriors won Game Seven, one hundred one to ninety two. Okay, so I'm sorry, I, I got us completely off track on that. So what I want to say, that's no, okay. No, 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 it was it was good to go back to history though for me. What I want to <laughs> say is, I think the Warriors have benefited in that they've always been on the right side of that. Where I think I've watched three series now where I think the better team lost. In that I'm talking twenty. 15 Oklahoma City versus Warriors. The aforementioned Houston Rockets versus Warriors series. And this year, I think it happened twice in one playoffs. I think if John Moran doesn't get injured, I think we saw that Memphis was primed and ready to take them to seven games, if not take the series, because that team was younger, faster, and they had them shook. Like, you knew. Who was it on the Grizzlies? It's like, yo, they're good, but they're old. You know, like, we got a bunch of young dudes here. Yeah, uh, Jaron Jackson. And, and you saw the same thing in the finals against Boston, who I also still think was better than the Warriors. But just like I said, Steph Curry put the team on his back, which is what great players do. But... Dude, they had that game three or game four won. And had they won that, they're up 3 1. That series is over. Over. But that completely pivoted when Steph put the team on his back. So that's what I took away from this finals right away. Uh, that's a very long winded way to say that. But uh, what did you take away from this finals? Yeah, no, pretty pretty similar. I the thing that I took away, um, kind of magnifying glass on what you said, is I think it was one of the worst superstar performances I've ever seen in an NBA Finals from Jason Tatum. Is Tatum a superstar? That's the thing. I would say that. Um, now, personally, I don't think Jason Tatum is a superstar. But if you were to pull, you know. A hundred people that watch the NBA, they would say Jason Tatum is a superstar. Really? Like I think, I think it's common knowledge that that people would put him in there. He was in Team USA. Um, he he's been first team NBA for a few times. Like I think people, I, and I think people in Boston would say that he is a superstar. Yeah, yeah. Now he's not like like superstar. I'm saying like top ten is superstar for me. I'm sure some people would say superstars are only like the best three players in the NBA, but like a superstar is like, you know, Luca, LeBron, AD, Steph. You know, I'm already on four. Oh, and I can AD's still a superstar. KD. Oh, yeah. I think he was a superstar. I don't think he's still a superstar. Uh, he's a su- No, don't give me I that. I loved don't AD. Don't give me that. <laughs> I loved AD back in like 2019. AD, AD, when he is healthy in 2022, is the best center power forward in the well, NBA. I mean, you can say the same thing about Boogie Cousins about three years ago, but he wasn't a superstar no, either. No, they you played can't. on the same team. Stop. <laughs> Shut no. up, Pelicans. Anyway, okay, fine, fine. Let's not put AD in there. Luca, Giannis. Look, like I'm already at seven, so I, I would say the top. Uh, I would say Jason Tatum's like 10, 11 yes. best player in the NBA. All to say, it was. It, it was one of the worst performances I've ever seen. And there's a lot of reasons for it, um, but still inexcusable. Like, yes, he played, I think he played the third or fourth most minutes in NBA Finals history. Mm. So, like, he played a lot. He was gas, and you can see it. But for him not to figure out how to not turn over the ball and how to like play defense very effectively but then on transition just not be gassed and make dumb decisions like 
I don't care how tired you are, you learn how to not turn over the ball that much. So for those that don't know, Jason Tatum turned over the ball the most times in NBA Finals history this past um, this past Finals. Um, even in Game Six, he was already tied for like no no Game Six he was already number one, and then Game Seven just made it more in his turnovers. It was it was so embarrassing to see and so frustrating to see because I also thought that the Celtics were the better team. Uh, Jalen Brown was playing fantastic. Marcus Smart might have been the best player on that team for stretches of time. Uh, Derek White had a great game one, game two. Al Horford was playing amazing. Um, Robert Williams was playing with injury, but then in game seven, he finally comes alive. I mean, I've already named like five or six people that are playing really well. If you look at what the Warriors did, players that played well, Steph Curry, of course. Who else? Clay played fine. Draymond played fine. Jordan Poole had moments. Um, it, it, it just shows that like that that Celtics team on paper and when they are playing at their best are so much better than the Warriors. Yeah, I so that was really frustrating. I agree. I mean, let's, let's stick on the Jason Tatum topic for a while. To me, I feel like he's someone that I feel like it's, it's too quick as people people are so quick right now to transition out of kind of the old generation of superstars, you know, like the, like the, the era of, you know, uh, Harden, Durant, Westbrook, Kyrie Irving, those dudes. And they want to find like the new sure. young dudes, you know, Luca, Giannis, these guys. I put Jason Trey, Tatum yeah. in kind of in that same tier of young dudes as like Devin Booker, as Donovan Mitchell. They're, they're all kind of the same player to me. And uh, similar to like DeMar DeRozan when he was younger, we're like, they're a superstar. And I'm like, are they or are they just really good i think jason tatum is just really good i don't think he's someone that like i sell the house tomorrow like if someone comes to my door and says like i'll give you oklahoma city thunder worth of first round picks for jason tatum it's like i don't think i would make that trade if i was the oklahoma city thunder you know i would i would not sell the farm for him no, no, I, I, I definitely see where you're going, where you're coming from. I did put him in superstar category before this because my definition of superstar is one through ten, if not even. I mean, I, I haven't even named Kawhi. I didn't name Paul George even at times. You say you some people would say superstar. So my definition of superstar is very loose. Um, but from what I saw in the finals, I wouldn't even put Jason Tatum as an all-star with what we saw because like for me like my biggest thing was why why did he not drive like he uh, he did not have injuries right he, yes he was gassed but like we're talking like first quarter he's up against these shorties on the Warriors, they, they they were playing this weird like like Kevon Looney but then Kevon couldn't play so then Otto Porter Jr. like if I'm the Celtics, you drive every single play because Steph Curry can't guard you. Clay could guard very well, but still not like what he used to be. Draymond Green played okay, no, but he is not good. this like all-time defender that he says he is. Like I, you drive every single play until they are tired, and they didn't do that. And I don't understand why Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum made like three layups. Maybe he has a great mid-range jump shot that looks like Kobe Bryant's fadeaway, and that's really impressive. 
but that's it. And if all you have is a Kobe Bryant fadeaway, that that doesn't even make you an all star. Pisses me off, man. Because I know he's so good. No, I agree. I think I think it's rough for the Celtics because like they, they should have taken a page out of uh, those Cavalier teams that went up against Golden State in the late 2010s. Uh, where, I mean, the Cavaliers gave him fits, not because LeBron was playing out of his mind, but because they had so much more size than Golden State. Yep, totally. And, and especially in that first series when the Golden State won 4-2, to two, a lot of those games were closer in the series called, and LeBron was able to win four games in that series just because like, they stuck to their guns. Like, we're going to consistently drive, play small ball inside, and keep getting two-point shots. So unless your shooters heat up, which we saw them struggle in that series, which is why Andre Iguodala got MVP, you know, you can stay in this series. Boston, I think it was a combination of Tatum and I think Marcus Smart really wanted to prove that, oh, we can hang with uh, Clay, you know Clay and Steph in terms of shooting threes. And it's like, no, no, you can't. No one can. It's like, maybe if you went, if you went back in time to the dimension beyond space and time and put you know reggie miller and ray allen together you could keep up shooting threes with those two dudes but i i think that was the celtics downfall truth be told yeah no totally and also like take take a page out of out of the um Giannis championship Giannis wasn't chucking up threes Giannis was going straight to the paint and just absolutely dominating and not only him but like pj tucker um chris chris middleton shoots jump shots but chris middleton did a lot of driving uh i forget that guy's name um drew holiday their point guard mm-hmm. like you know, none of them were chucking up threes. They really established a nice paint game that the Celtics could do. You can do with Al Horford. You can drive with uh, Jalen Brown. You can drive with Jason Tatum. Um, Derek uh, Derek White, I think, is a really good point guard. But for some reason, Marcus Smart is carrying up the ball quarters one and two. Jalen Brown's carrying up the ball. Like all these guys are just awful when it comes to turnovers and like a ball ball movement. And this is the NBA Finals. This isn't like Game Forty of the regular season mm-hmm. you think you'd you would like figure it out by then anyway so all to say i think both you and i agree like the celtics they are that's a really good team and i'm curious to see what happens to robert williams if he like is healthy next year because he he was really playing some great ball in game seven he just it was just too late so if he figures that out if jason tatum learns how to drive and like really become a super superstar because he has the skills to do it he just needs to like stop being timid um i think i think this celtics team can easily come back and win next year no matter who's on whatever team all right uh this will be an interesting question to go into our next topic on golden state but uh miami heat Missed a lot of time with Tyler, Tyler Hero and some other guys. Uh, do you think that they're actually better than Miami Heat were this year? Wait, the Warriors or the Celtics? Celtics? Are we playing the game that the Celtics weren't even the best team in the East? I still think that the Celtics were the best team in the East on paper. I think grit-wise, I think the Miami Heat were the were the better team. Like, and I think PJ Tucker's on that team now too, right? So like, you got you got Butler, you got Lowry, you got Hero, you got Duncan. All these dudes are ballers, and also um, Spolstra. We don't give Spolstra enough credit for like really making the identity of that team just dogs just straight killers so i think when it comes to like guts glory like a game seven i would give it to miami just because their like dna is truly different but i think on paper that celtics team is still very very good and if you look at like if you look at how the celtics played the warriors 
if you take Curry out of the equation, they actually played him really well, and they stopped you know a lot of like offensive outbursts by the Warriors. Well, that was the biggest problem too, as to why you stick with that small ball big man game. It's like it wasn't even like the Warriors are playing that well. You got a series where Draymond put up doo doo numbers, and Clay Thompson couldn't find a rhythm. It's like you just did, like you just had to not let Steph beat you by himself, which is very doable. I mean, people downplay how much mm. Steph. You know, the Warriors haven't been the Warriors when clay thompson's out so people downplay how important it is to just like let steph beat you and not everybody else but they still found a way to blow it yeah and uh one one more thing to add on that i i have this other group chat with with my brother's friends and uh, there's two warriors fans there so i was given a ton of crap on that on on that one but one thing that i kept saying every single game is why do the Celtics never go over the pick and they always go <sighs> under the pick? And then Dude. finally, in game six, when they decided to go over the pick intentionally, then Andrew Wiggins has an, an amazing game. Andrew Wiggins had like 20 points that game. Um, and then the Celtics get blown out. So I can see that was the reason why. Like, basically, I think their strategy was Curry can't score 70 points today Mm -hmm. let's let him score 50 because we don't want andrew wiggins to get in the way which is like which is what we'll talk about right now when we talk about curry but there there had to have been some sort of defensive scheme where you can play curry and like go over the pick and not under the pick and still be able to like neutralize his role players right like this isn't rocket science and and we've seen this Warriors team for years. Yeah, Boston didn't play well down the stretch. Uh they didn't they didn't choke. They just didn't play their best basketball and it wound up cost them. I think that's the story of the finals. That's fair, that's fair. And the story to be continued is the one we will talk about now is where do you put Steph Curry in the all-time list? Um <sighs> I've I've put together a really janky all-time list, um, and I don't want us to debate the list. Although I know you're going to want to debate yeah, the say- list, let's let's f- let's focus on Curry, and then we can talk about my list later. Okay, I'm biting my tongue. Uh, I mean, you're really kicking the hornet's <laughs> nest on this one. Uh, so I would say it's really hard to gauge. Because it's like anytime I say Steph Curry is this, I always have a yes, but. So I'm like, Steph Curry's a fantastic player. Yes, but his defense is pretty average at best. Steph Curry has very good handles. Yes, but are they really all-time handles or is he just elusive? Okay, Steph Curry is one of the greatest all-time offensive players we've ever seen. Yes, but is he better than Kevin Durant at creating his own shot? Steph Curry... And I, I feel, and this again feels wrong to say, is a one-trick pony in that he's just good at like not thinking and pulling up from whatever he feels like, and he's just really good at hitting those shots. We've never seen anything like this in basketball, and I think that's what makes it so hard to gauge. Because I think it's another question where it's, I mean, you know how I said, do you get up and sell the farm for Jason Tatum? And I think the answer is no. Uh, is there any team that I'm like, put Steph Curry on that team? They're missing a Steph Curry. I don't know if you can because Steph Curry is in the perfect position where he's the Lakers. Well, come on down, baby. Dude, I don't know. I think Steph Curry really has to be the alpha of a team. 
if you're going to trade for him and are there a lot of teams that's like we're missing a guy that can just like take the ball every possession and shoot whenever he feels like and throw 17 threes up it's that's a really specific skill set um okay what do i want to say about this because like i i get what you're saying but at the same time i think there's so much more to steph i don't think steph is a one-trick pony and I think this finals really proved that actually. Like, I feel like, yes, he pulls up from anywhere and it's crazy. But at the same time, he was very meticulous as to like what he's going to do with the ball. And that's what really frustrated me um, in seeing Steph. I forget how old he is now, but to see him to do it this old with a really good defensive team in the Boston Celtics and him being so mature and to know what to do with the ball. So like he knew at some point, I'm not going to chuck it. And the thing that I've seen Curry mature in is like going to the basket. We didn't see Curry go to the basket at all for those first couple championships. And now we're seeing this different version of Curry where like people are going under the pick and somehow he's still able to either shoot the ball or he's still able to drive and like force it on Al Horford on Robert Williams and like people that could easily swat it. But time and time again, you see him like being almost like Michael Jordan, almost like Kobe late in his career um, and almost like LeBron. Sometimes Le- LeBron's not very consistent, but there's times where you see players they know exactly what's going to happen and they have five different moves and they know no matter what move that they're going to do, it's going to be successful. And that's what I saw in the finals this year with, with Steph where Steph's like, okay, he's going to do this. Fine. I'm going to pass it here. Oh, he's going to do this. Then I'm going to do this. And it just seemed like very measured where before it seemed like Steph was very frantic with the ball. It was like, ah, shoot, here I go. Where this was like, He's like, no, I have so many different things in my arsenal that I can do. And that really stood out to me. Like, I, I don't see him as a one-trick pony, even though, like, I do think those first couple of years he was a one-trick pony and it, like, it broke, you know, it broke the NBA. But now it's like, I don't know, he was just, it was so mature and I was, I was so, it, it was such a, a pleasure to watch as a basketball fan. I was like, I was like, how is this, he's so old He's so small, and yet he's still finding the basket and still finding what he needs to do. Well, and that's, yeah, saying he's a one-trick point is a little bit disingenuous, but it's like my problem with him is, too, like you said, he's so small, and honestly, he is a bit of a defensive liability. Like he's he's pretty easy to oh yeah he's yeah, pretty easy yeah, to mismatch or mismatch on you know he's anything but a lockdown defender so it's kind of like you're putting your sliders all the way up like to a hundred on offense but like pulling them back to like sixty eight on defense when he's on the floor and, and and when they played those Cavalier teams again there were a lot of times where that was exploited you know guys like Kyrie who are faster and have better handles were just like eating Steph's lunch now Steph was able to give you know about as good as he was getting most of the time but you know that was a big factor in why some of those finals were as tight as they were yeah no absolutely and 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 you saw that a little bit in this um in this series game six and game seven uh, to start those games Marcus Smart was going at Steph Mm -hmm. and that's another uh, another knock on Jason Tatum that 
that their game plan was to have Marcus Smart start, like like going at Steph. I, I mean, come on, Jason Tatum, you're you're the superstar on the team. Why are you letting Marcus Smart dictate how the game's going to go? But anyway, that was smart on the Celtics because he was he was hot, and that's what they did. They said, "Hey, Curry, you you are one of the best players that ever lived, but you're also not that great on defense." So I'm going to let Marcus Smart, who's not known to shoot the ball, I'm going to let him just bully you to the paint. Okay, I, th- I think we said our piece on Steph, which I think you have a hot take as to where Steph sits all time, and I think I have a hot take about Steph Curry in general. So <laughs> why don't we go with your list first, since I think we can oh kind of stay a little bit more on track with that. Mine, mine's pretty out of left field, but okay, I want to okay. hear your list. Okay, so we've all right. So uh, caveat. Well, no, there is no caveat here, but you all know what I think of Steph at this point, right? That I do think what he did was, you know, almost superhuman that he's this old and he can do what he did and just dismantle a Celtics team that that on paper honestly was the best um defensive team in the NBA in 2022. Um, now, again, this, not only is this take going to be hot takey, but this list is very hot takey, I think, for some people. Um, so here we go. Number one, I have Michael Jordan. Mm. All right, we're all good there. Number two, I have Kobe Bryant, okay, which yeah. people don't don't like. People don't like to have Kobe number two, but um, I won't spend time justifying it here, but most people have Kobe way lower. Uh, number three, I actually have LeBron. I have LeBron, the third best player to ever live. Uh, just again that yeah we can we can talk about those things later but uh he's proven champion and just i don't think we're ever going to see someone like him uh number four i have kareem i think uh, i think uh, and kareem honestly i can probably put him a little higher i can probably switch lebron and kareem and i'm fine with that um but yeah kareem doesn't get the credit uh, for uh five shack think that's fine yeah Shaq dominant uh six um I haven't done a lot of like I haven't looked at a lot of film but I just appreciate him Bill Russell's number hmm. six uh, most most championships ever OG Draymond and just yeah. a really good competitor yep now here's where it gets interesting I have a tie for seven really Magic Johnson seven okay Steph Curry <sighs> Man, again, that's what makes Steph Curry so difficult because you, you're like Steph is and, the seventh. And so what? And sorry, and, and here is who I have him over. Just the next, the next ones on my list: Will Chamberlain, Larry Bird, Kevin Durant. Yeah, I, I mean have that's, at 11. that's fine. Yeah. And at tw- and at twelve, I have Duncan. Again, that's what makes it so weird is that you never say something about Steph and feel confident about it other than like Steph is the greatest three point shooter of all time. I can say that without like setting off the lie detector test. Any other thing I say about Steph Curry would set off the lie detector test. And it's like Steph Curry is not a top 10 player of all time, in my opinion. It's like, okay, how do you leave arguably probably a top three player of the last 20 years off the top 10 list especially one who is the best at all time at something and i'm like well again it's because he's small he's a defensive liability and outside that three-point shot i'm like he's not like crazy 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 good uh but you know people could say the same thing about Shaq. you know Shaq didn't have fundamentals but he's the greatest all time at being a dominant big man so okay yeah but what's your what's your take I have a I have a question for you on that then. Yeah. When you're when you're evaluating Steph, how much weight do you put on 
the Steph's style of basketball changing the game. How much does that matter to you when it comes to all time? Well, it's funny you mention this because my hot take is I think Steph Curry is more important to the story of the NBA than LeBron James. I am not really upset about that, actually. Oh, yeah? Wow. Okay. Jeez, we, we agree on a hot take. Go figure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm not I'm not upset. Because, like, if, I mean, just just thinking logically, the, the league pre-Curry, if you think of the seven seconds or less Suns, that was the real turn of three is greater than two. Mm-hmm. And then Curry injects the seven seconds or less like steroids and then that's where the nba goes where lebron lebron doesn't dictate the style of the nba lebron dictated super teams and dictated what happened to players but he didn't he didn't dictate how basketball was played where curry did dictate i'm sorry i'm i'm speaking for you but that's why i I agree with you for the most part yeah that's a good that's a really good point and i think uh you took the words out of my mouth there is that uh i think i think lebron figured out what he was best at too late in his career uh if i had to i would rate not in terms of their overall like NBA 2K levels, but if I had to rate the three LeBron Jameses, I think you have OG LeBron James up to about maybe the first or second year in Miami, which is kind of like that mm-hmm. shooting guard slashing forward. Then you have Fair. like one man army, my least favorite LeBron James, who I think actually made a lot of people around him worse and people don't want to admit that. And then you have Magic Johnson, LeBron James, where like, Dude, I will admit the guy's got insane court vision and like his passes are I freaking love watching him pass the basketball. But, you know, I think I think he that's might be his best edition of himself. But he discovered that way too late. I think if he would have been able Mm. to be like, okay, I'm super Magic Johnson and I'm not going to be the center of focus of scoring until everybody's tired at the end of the game. And I've been passing the basketball and I'm going to drop like 25 points every fourth quarter on you. I think he could have done that but he chose not to. Huh. Yeah. Well, I don't want to stray too much, but I will say that I like his Magic Johnson now, you know, that he's like super human cerebral. Mm-hmm. But I, I think I think that first couple years in Miami and his like figuring out what his body does and that he is truly unstoppable almost to the point that he's maybe more unstoppable than Shaq. I don't know. I think, I think that is, I think that's peak LeBron, man. Well, that's what I'm saying though, is I'm like, I think if LeBron could have had that body, but with that magic Johnson play style. Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah, I would have, but I still think that he should be scoring centric with, that style i think that maybe like as a coaching scheme maybe but like to be the best player of all time like if all he needed you're right was like hey chris bosh let's figure out how to play together and let's get you 30 Mm -hmm. you know what i mean where it was like chris was like all right i guess i'll just get the scraps and i'll score you know 19 a night so a few more things about steph not to deviate too much onto lebron yeah sorry but that that's a really interesting topic maybe maybe we do another podcast about lebron i think we i think we talked about that for a long time uh getting back to steph though i think one thing that's not brought up enough if you see us a lot with the greg popovich spurs 
is that I think the Golden State Warriors team and being able to keep that core together is more integral to Steph's rings than Steph Curry is to Golden State's rings. Which is getting mm. back to that argument I had earlier on. I'm like, if you drop Steph off somewhere else, I'm like, does he have this career? Because mm, you got to remember that first finals against the Cavaliers in 2015 was a very close four to two with a lot of players out in LeBron's squad. Then they blew that three to one lead the next year. Then they had to call in KD. So two of Steph's rings really are on the back of Kevin Durant. If Slim Reaper hadn't come to town, I'm not convinced that they could get past that Cavaliers team again. I'm, I'm dead serious. So in reality, yes, Steph has four rings, but it's like, but two of them, you were with like the super team of all super teams. It's kind of hard for me to. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I feel like this. Okay, so before this series, I had I, I, I didn't make an all time list, but I wouldn't have put Curry above any of these guys. Not above Tim Duncan. Not above even not above Kevin Durant because Kev, I mean, and I think that's logical because Kevin Durant was the better person on their team anyway. Mm-hmm. So um, I didn't have Curry above Larry Larry Bird, but this series showed me that he could take a team on his back. All LeBron James coming back three to one, beating you know beating that Warriors team because Clay didn't play well, because Dre didn't play well, because the second best best player kind of looked like Jordan Poole sometimes. Yeah. But Steph Curry was able to dismantle the the Celtics team. That proved to me that he can be that guy and for him to do it at that age really like just shook me up i'm just like i i can't believe they didn't they didn't shut him down and what he was doing was just crazy to watch which is why i put him in in the list um but i i I definitely know what you're saying and and maybe i'm not weighing the past as much as i'm weighing this like i am being a prisoner of the moment putting him so high up after watching him at game six totally like i i agree with that i'm being prisoner of the moment but it was just so crazy to watch that I put him at 7-8. I'm torn. Uh, this is probably Steph's most impactful finals win of all the rings he has, but it's also probably against the worst team. So, again, everything I say about Steph Curry, Steph has four rings. Yes, but Durant and Super Team Golden State got him two of those, so he's kind of at two rings. Okay, well, this was his best finals. Yes, but... He played a team that did not play very well and may not have been the best team in the conference to begin with. Still won, but there's always a yes, but. You go back on people like Michael Jordan, it's like, Michael Jordan didn't beat anybody in the finals. Dog, he beat the Utah Jazz, Dr. Malone team twice. He beat the Charles Barkley team. Okay, one of those rings was against, like, the shell of Showtime. I get it, but everything past that speaks for itself, you know. Right. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I definitely see what you mean, but I still do respect this Celtics team. And even though they sucked offensively, they definitely did a very good job defensively still. Um, and Curry would, Curry just figured it out. So with all that said, Reese, um, where so if you don't put him in your top 10, where where are you seeing him I, I think right he's, now in your list? I think he's right about probably 12 for me. I think he's 12 and he can finish right in the top 10, but I don't think he's complete enough of a player in a lot of aspects to be like, he's the greatest of all time. I think, uh, I think he's 
he's just got too much in the offense and he's never even in his prime you know there have been times like lebron's not great at defense now there was a time when lebron was a lockdown defender kevin durant's never been like an, a lockdown lockdown defender but i think he's really focused on his defense more in the yeah. last few years uh to the point that i mean kevin kevin durant shut down lebron james and some of those matchups he did uh i don't think you can ever say steph was a good defensive player and that to me is no kind of the big thing that i think i think it's probably too late in his career for him to learn how to be a great defensive player so my take so here here's a question um hypothetical this is a big hypothetical but say curry wins another one next year and he gets five rings then surpassing um tim duncan oh wait sorry tim has five um surpassing actually magic johnson no magic has magic's got five there's not a lot before it's like you either have two three or five or like a ton right yeah because kobe kobe tim michael magic all have five and then no jordan's got six sorry yeah yeah jordan has six bill russell obviously a thousand yeah um okay so if so if so if curry and check us for um so if Curry surpasses four, goes to five, where do you, do, where do you put him all time, and say it's just a it's a carbon copy of what he just did? He still sucks defensively, still shooting threes, maybe driving a little bit. I think Curry's going to have to get to six before I put him in the top ten, and they'll probably be right at nine or wow. ten. Wow! Uh, if he gets to seven, then I think he'll jump for me up to like entering top five maybe in fact no if, if he gets to seven i will put him top five which i again i know sounds crazy but outside of jordan on the bulls i don't think we've ever seen a player in such a healthy situation in in the terms of being able to keep the core of the players that make that tick around them to be able to keep the coach there without getting poached or someone figuring him out there's a uh, maybe maybe magic magic's up there magic's up there uh but it's dude the warriors are in such a healthy i mean we saw it when when clay's been gone the last few years like that that team's been a pretty high scoring fast plays basketball team with a guy that can shoot the lights out but that's it you know they haven't been clicking they haven't been a serious nba finals threat so it's like how big of a deal is clay thompson and then again another yes but clay thompson's a big deal but is clay thompson really that good is clay thompson a franchise dude no not anymore yes but yeah no I, I i think all of that is not necessarily hot take yeah I, I think you you bring up some really good points and i think you and i just um you and i weigh the way that he changed basketball differently so for me that means a lot when it comes to my all-time list mm-hmm. like i think you know the reason why Le, lebron is up in three is because of his his size i don't think we're ever going to see someone that fast with that size with this cerebral you know being again i mean maybe we will you know Giannis could possibly be that but but i think with that 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 factors to me into that list Shaq being the most dominant person in his era that factors into my all-time um bill russell winning 11 championships even though Kevin Durant's probably better than Bill Russell if they played one-on-one. I don't know. 
that still matters to me. And that's why Curry is seven, eight to me because he did change basketball. He was able to do things with the basketball that no one could do. And now you're seeing guys like Trey young, Damian Lillard that are now putting these things into their game because Curry did that. And now you're seeing defenses that are just completely changed offenses that are completely changed because of the way that Curry changed the game. So that's why I put him, you know, in the top 10. I think I, I would have had him in the top. No, I, I didn't say that. Yeah. I'd have him like 12, 13 before this championship. So yeah, fair enough. There you go, man. Any other things before we end the podcast? That was fun. That, that, that was super fun. Uh, no, I think that about covers everything I want to say about Golden State now before, you know, we, we, we start losing people's attention span. But I can <laughs> I can keep talking about Golden State and Steph Curry and all the guys that make that squad. Oh, totally. tick. I, I think it's really interesting. You know, I think it's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, no, I to kind of to kind of cap it. Then I I think that the Warriors themselves don't get enough credit for 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 the dynasty that they've built, right? I mean, getting Clay, getting Dre, getting Steph, but then also when they were all gone to sign Jonathan Kaminga to get um, Moody, and then who's the other guy? James Wiseman. These are three dudes that are going to be the pillar of their team that saw zero minutes during the finals. Wiseman because in the G League, but like uh, Jonathan Kaminga and then moody who were playing really well during the year and actually played really well in the previous series saw zero minutes in the nba finals i mean that is scary like like the warriors are and and the warriors also um take from their revenue to then pay their players so the warriors are like i forget what their salary uh, luxury tax is but it's absurd and what their ownership actually does is they actually sell off some of their ownership so that they can keep paying everybody so that's something that that we don't see right the Suns don't do that. The Bucks, the Lakers try to do it, but they don't have enough, you know, they don't have enough money. I mean, it truly is genius how they how they have like built this team and sustained this team. It's it's going to be a case study for years. You can keep digging in there further. Be like, is Steve Kerr that good of a coach? It's like, well, of course he is. It's like, okay, what does Steve Kerr do best? What is Steve Kerr's best feature? Uh, he has Stephen Clay. Yeah, exactly. It's like, but at the same time, he has four rings and Mark Jackson had Stephen Clay and he couldn't get him over the hill. Does that mean Steve Kerr's a good coach? Yes, but. <laughs> yeah, I know for sure. And like, imagine like Tom Thibodeau with, with Steph Curry. He, he wouldn't have won a ring with Steph. He wouldn't no. have, you know, it, it no. truly is right place at the right time. Like Steph. Steph is a different version of Steve Kerr. Like their personalities obviously mesh. Although I know Steph really loved Mark Jackson. Another story for another day. But yeah, crazy times. Shout out to the Warriors. The you know, no matter where we put Steph Curry, um, they they did a great job. The Warriors are awesome. Uh, as a Lakers fan, I'm super jealous. But I can't wait for Kyrie Irving to be on our team next year. Hot take, Mondo. <laughs> Leaving us the scorcher to end the podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, let us know if you like that podcast because we can talk NBA for as long as you want this summer. Um, so give us a shout out on uh, Instagram, social media. Thanks for thanks for checking on us. Remember to download this podcast. Thanks for sticking with us and we will see you next time. We'd like to thank you for joining us today on Fountain City Sports Media. This podcast is brought to you by listener support. So consider becoming a friend of the podcast. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash FCSM to gain access to premium content including outtakes, bonus episodes, and exclusive beer reviews. 
Check out our website at fountaincitysportsmedia.com for more info on the podcast, social media, and of course, the goings-on in the beer industry. Special thanks to bands Carswell and Hope and Like a Tiger for providing our intro and outro themes. And as always, I'm Reese and alongside my good friend Armando, we thank you for tuning in to Fountain City Sports Media. 